Oh, as soon as it fell, I was like, oh no, Marilyn's going to give me a look. All right. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Choose your wisdom path. I believe the big idea of the passage is this. Believers must demonstrate their godly wisdom through their righteous acts. Through their humble righteous acts. Sometimes my notes get changed in between when my notes are made and when your notes are made. And this was the addition that was made. There you go. Um, let's read the text. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And then we will seek to expound upon it a little bit. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts. Do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the exhortation in your word that you give us to pursue wisdom, to allow our lives to be marked by humility, to allow our lives to be marked by purity, to allow our lives to be marked by peace as we humbly submit to your spirit and as we humbly depend upon your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have equipped us for every task that you call us to. We pray that as we contemplate this passage that you would convict us and you would help us to live righteous and godly in this age. In your name we pray. The theme is choose your wisdom. Believers must demonstrate their godly wisdom through humble, righteous acts. And choosing your wisdom, and really, um, you've probably heard the phrase, if, at least if you're on Facebook, um, to any extent, uh, choose your heart. You've probably heard that idea or seen that idea as you're scrolling through all the things that people share. It's been going around quite a bit in the last month or so. I've seen it a number of times. And the idea is, you know, um, things are hard. Life is full of hard things, and you have to choose which hard thing you're going to do um, to pursue the goals that you have. And in, in a lot of ways, it makes sense, right? I mean, that's just a basic idea. Like, um, you can either have the hardness of all the difficulties that life comes with when you choose to eat donuts for breakfast and uh, frozen pizzas for lunch and then top it off with a Big Mac. Um, or you can choose to live a more disciplined life and try to, you know, lose weight and not face all the medical consequences of that diet, right? I mean, that, that makes sense. And in a ways, you would think that the overwhelming amount of choices that you and I could make would just completely overwhelm us, right? I mean, think of how many choices you have available to you this morning. I mean, you could have woken up at 5.45, 546, 547, 548, 
605. I mean, you get the idea. Like, I mean, just that is like, there are multiple minutes that you could have chosen to set your alarm for this morning. You could have hit the snooze button, you know, three, four, five, six times, and then, you know, pulled off your pajamas and grabbed a granola bar and come to church, right? I mean, there, life is just full of decisions. And what makes all those decisions a little bit easier? Why is it, you know, not overwhelming that, you know, as you thought about all the options that you could make for breakfast, I mean, there's waffles, there's hash browns, there's bacon, there's sausage. Sausage comes in multiple ways, right? I mean, you can get patties, you can get links. It's just overwhelming when you start thinking about all the options you have. What makes it simpler? I think a lot of it is simplified by the fact that you've made bigger decisions about life and how you're going to do life that simplify those decisions. Some of you are like, I never wake up before, you know, 6 a.m. Like, that's a law for my household that, you know, if the children wake up before that time, we let them go out for adoption or something. I don't know. <laughs> right? I mean, like, you have made decisions about how you're organizing your life. And what this passage is calling upon us to do is to look at life and to embrace one modus operandi of making decisions, specifically speaking, a godly, heavenly wisdom. And what James says is, if you don't choose heavenly wisdom, if you choose the other option, or if you fail to cognizantly, willfully embrace heavenly wisdom, then you have in fact chosen to live in worldly wisdom. And he just puts it out there. There's, there's only two options that he provides you and I. There is heavenly wisdom and there is worldly wisdom. And so the question that you and I must ask is, which one is my life characterized by? Which one am I pursuing? And which one does God have a desire that I should pursue? This is not really about, you know, what your parents think you should pursue or uh, what your spouse thinks you should pursue or what I think you should pursue. It's what, what does God have a desire that you are pursuing? And I believe that the purpose of the text is to point us to the fact that God has a desire that you and I would pursue heavenly wisdom, godly wisdom, and as we do so, our acts would demonstrate it by pursuing humble righteousness. And so that's, that's the, the, that, it's the idea. As he, as he does this, though, he begins in verse 13 and he asks us, to define wisdom. And what I want you to do right now is, um, just just by yourself, don't, don't word it out, don't tell me. If you want, you can come and tell me after church. But right now, I just want you to think through, and if you want, to write down a definition of wisdom. If I were to ask you, just right now, on the spot, what is wisdom, what would you say wisdom is? Hopefully your creative juices are flowing and it's not too early and you've been able to compile a couple ideas about what wisdom is, what wisdom looks like. And James is going to ask a very similar question, but it goes further than just asking him what wisdom is. He comes out and he asks, are you wise and understanding? And that assumes then that his readers have some sort of definition or some sort of understanding of what wisdom and understanding is, right? Because if I just ask you, you know, I thought about, you know, having everybody who is 
10 years and older standing up, like it's just everybody knows what that definition is. But what James does is he says, there's a specific definition that I'm looking for. And what is the definition of wisdom that James gives? He says, wisdom is demonstrated in good works. Wisdom is demonstrated as you and I perform good works. And so as you and I examine our lives, as we look at what we've done this past week, what good works have we done? Have we lived lovingly before our wives? As we've, as we've nurtured and cared for our wives, have we loved them well, husbands? Wives, have you submitted to your husband's leadership and come and humbled yourself and allowed him to lovingly lead? Children, have you, have you obeyed your parents as they instruct you and teach you and guide you in righteousness and obedience? As we've gone to work, have we worked hard at work? What have we done to engage our neighbors in a way that demonstrates our good works? He's saying that wisdom will demonstrate itself in good works. But he goes on from there. He doesn't just simply say good works is the end aspect of my definition of what wisdom is. If you look at verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct... But he goes on and he says that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. There's this idea of meekness or of humility, of a willingness to understand that you're not the end-all, be-all, that you're not the head honcho, that you don't get to make every call, that you don't get to control every aspect of it really is pointing to this idea of humility. And so he's asking them, are you demonstrating humility? And so he's beginning to define for us what this wisdom looks like. He's going to define it even even more detail in verses 17 and 18. But he's introducing, he's asked us, are you wise? Are you understanding? And so it calls upon us to, number one, define what wisdom is. And then to answer the question. And so as we work our way through this passage, those are our two assignments. Number one, to understand what, what kind of wisdom James is talking about. And then to ask ourselves, of the two kinds of wisdom that are pictured, both worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, which one characterizes my life? And so are you humbly doing good works? And this includes the many, many relationships that you have, right? You and I have multiple relationships in which we're supposed to be engaged in and pursuing. And so, in the relationships that I mentioned earlier, husband, wife, parent, child, sibling, employer, employee, neighbor. How has your life been characterized this week? Has it been characterized by meekness? Producing good works, or has it been characterized by selfishness? 
That is the question that he's presenting to us. He moves on from here and he, he pictures for us worldly wisdom. And what he's going to do in verses 14 through 16 is he's going to picture wisdom. You and I like pictures, right? What happens? Uh, Gary goes and he takes photographs of you know animals and sunsets and barns and he puts them on Facebook. And what do we do? We hit the like button, right? Because we like seeing the cool pictures because we don't like getting up that early to go and, you know, find the cool places to look at those things. But he can he can do the getting up earlier, and you don't have to wake up at 5, whatever he wakes up at, to go get the sunrise all those times. You can just look at them on Facebook, right? People go on vacation, and they, they tell you that they caught a mahi-mahi, and what do we do? Where's the picture, right? That's how life works. That's what we do. We, we want to see the pictures. We want to have things picture for us so we can better understand what is going on. And so James does that for us. He says, you want to know what wisdom looks like? Well, there's two different ways that it can look. It can either look like worldly wisdom, which I'll picture for you in verses 14 through 16, or it can look like heavenly wisdom, which I'll picture for you in verses 17 and 18. And they're both true definitions of wisdom, but only one of them is good. And only one of them is worth pursuing. And you and I ought to pursue heavenly wisdom. And so in verse 14, he continues on his way. And as he continues on, he says in verse 14, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. What is he doing? He's beginning to give us a picture. He's beginning to develop that definition of worldly wisdom. And he says, envy and self-seeking contradict God's definition of wisdom. And how easy it is for us to be envious of various things. How easy it is for us to seek our own desires. We come from birth like this, right? Just, I think, yesterday... Eliana wanted Bethany to hold her, and Anastasia was getting her diaper changed. And this is the second time Eliana grabs Anastasia's arm and puts teeth marks into my other child. I'm like, you sinner. If you look at Anastasia's, I, yeah, I think it's her left arm, she has like a two-inch long and two teeth marks just going down her arm. It came from that, that baby. <laughs> envious because mom was changing the other child's diaper for what two minutes and we laugh about the envy and the self-seeking desires of a 10 month old and yet we demonstrate the same type of heart attitudes in our relationships with each other we have a mental picture of how our day is going to go and as we're going on our events a car comes and gets in our way and under our breath we say what huh move it or you know something works right maybe not a curse word but you know something that's you know the christian akin to a curse word what 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 is that demonstrating it's demonstrating the fact that my heart is self-seeking your spouse or family member prohibits you from accomplishing or getting something that you want. And we become agitated with them, and then we respond to somebody else 
who maybe didn't even do anything wrong to us in a way that demonstrates my heart is envious, my heart is self-seeking. And what James says is this type of attitude, as it's pictured in all areas of our life, is not in alignment with God's definition of wisdom. He goes on from there and he says, not only do people demonstrate these types of attitudes, they picture themselves as envious and self-seeking, but they have the nerve. We have the nerve, right? We have this kind of nerve. We justify our actions. We become envious of somebody's thing, somebody's car, somebody's house. And we begin to imagine what life would be with that thing. Or we begin to pursue our own desires. We're self-seeking, advancing our own mission, and not caring as we should for those around us. What do we do? We begin to justify the reasons we have for pursuing that objective. What is that? That's boasting and our own sin. And so James then begins to address that situation. The fact that not only do we demonstrate, we picture our worldly wisdom by our, by our envy and our self-seeking, but we go further on. Why? Because our desires give birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, gives birth to or produces death. And that's why we need God's word to bring us to righteousness so that it can produce a kind of first fruits of his creatures, right? In verse 14 he says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. And so we become so blinded by our pursuits that we make it the standard of righteousness and wisdom. <laughs> We watch out for my best interests and everyone else can take care of themselves. Such an attitude, God says, is not in alignment with his word. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He's already stepping on our toes quite a bit. But he, he takes it another step further and he says, you know what, such wisdom is actually calling God a liar. And not only that, you know, he, he kind of starts off this, and he introduces this and, you know, I portrayed it as worldly wisdom, but it's for the effect that James, I believe, also intends. Because in verse 15, he says, it's not just worldly. You know, it'd be one thing if it was just worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom compared to godly wisdom, you know. But he doesn't allow us to even, you know, hold on to that idea that this is just this is just natural, it's just worldly, it's it's not that not, not that far from God. I mean, God made the world, right? But he doesn't allow us to even hold on to that idea because in verse 15 he says, This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, it's worldly. It's also sensual, demonic. You see how he just like all of a sudden like weighs the full weight of our envious, self seeking pursuits on us? He says, you know, it's not just earthly, it's not just fleshly, it's demonic. It is completely contrary to God. 
and it will ultimately lead you to boasting in your sin and declaring God a liar. Why? Because the end of verse 14 tells us what? We deny the truth. If we're denying the truth, what are we doing? We're calling God a liar. And so he's picturing for us what worldly wisdom looks like. Worldly wisdom is envy, bitter envy, and self-seeking. What's the end result, though? Where does all this lead us to? What does this end in? The picture's not complete unless you know where it, you know, what ultimately happens, right? It'd be, it'd be really sad if, you know, you saw a picture of somebody who caught a mahi-mahi and all you saw was their face and then the, the fish was like blacked out or had the little pixels put over it, right? Like that's disappointing or somebody shows you a picture of, you know, some other cool thing, a sunset with the sunset just pixelated, blurred out. You're like, great, there's clouds and there's the grass, but that's it. And, and so he goes on, Indian self-seeking will lead to disorder and every kind of evil. This is in verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion or disorder and every evil thing are there. And, and I don't think the idea here is that you and I will commit every evil there is possible, right? Because you've been envious, I've been envious, you've been self-seeking, I've been self-seeking. We've done that this week, right? And I don't think that you've committed every evil and you have every form of disorder in your life currently. So what does he mean by this? Ultimately, every kind of sin, all disorder, finds its origin in what? In envy or in self-seeking. It doesn't mean that you will personally go and carry out every kind of evil, but it does mean if left uncontrolled, envy and self-seeking will ultimately result in multiple different kinds of evil. And so as we see envy, as we see self-seeking in all the different forms that it presents itself in our lives, it's your mission, it's my mission to uproot it. Otherwise, it will bring disorder, it'll bring various kinds of evil actions into your life. It is the natural result every single time, because Sin, when it is born, brings forth sin, or desires bring forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. It is the natural result. The natural result of your bitterness that's demonstrated by envy, your self-seeking, as it's in your heart and brewing, will result in sins separation ultimately from you and God. Fortunately, James doesn't leave us here. Because at the end of verses 14 through 16, the picture of the world following worldly, no, demonic sin is one of complete disorder and one of complete pursuit of sin leads to every kind of sin. 
So in verses 17 and 18, he describes for us and pictures for us what heavenly wisdom looks like. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The contrast is stark, isn't it? How do we picture, how does he begin by picturing worldly wisdom or demonic wisdom? Better, bitter envy and self-seeking. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. I mean, it doesn't get much more drastic in contrast than bitter envy, self-seeking, and purity. Right? Those are the primary things that you look at somebody's life and you go, which one demonstrates them? Which one characterizes their life? And so the, the contrast is stark, and he begins and he says, heavenly wisdom will be characterized by purity. And I, I believe that the, the implication is that this is purity that includes every area of one's life. It doesn't allow one to say, you know, my whole life is pure except for how I speak. My whole life is pure except for how I talk to my children. My whole life is pure except for how I live at work. My whole life is pure except for... No, the idea is your life must be characterized by purity. It must be characterized by holiness. And this is a demonstration that what? That you fear God. That you love God and you have a desire to follow Him in faithfulness and obedience. And that's why I tied in Psalm 111. Right? Because where does wisdom come from? Wisdom starts with a fear of God. It's not just fear. There's love that accompanies that fear. But this is the foundation. This is the bedrock upon which God then uses us to demonstrate wisdom, right? Because he tells us, as he defines wisdom in verse 13, that wisdom is shown. He doesn't just say to the people he's writing, hey, who of you are wise and understanding? Stand up. All right, good. I'm glad you're wise. Sit down. This sermon's for the rest of you. What does he say? He says that if you want to claim wisdom, if you want to claim understanding... It's going to be evident in a humble, godly, work-producing life. Right? He doesn't allow you to just define wisdom and say, I am wise. He says, walk it, live it, humbly before people, and then we will declare you righteous. Right? And so he begins by telling us the groundwork, the foundation is wisdom, and the foundation is purity. And then the remaining characteristics build on this foundation. And once again, as you continue to look at all these other characteristics that flow from godly wisdom, they're in stark contrast to 
bitter envy and self-seeking. Peaceable. People who are envious and desire to seek their own way do not seek peace with other people. Because very rarely does everybody else want to concede to your will, right? People sometimes will do it for a little bit, right? So Hitler's marching across Europe at the beginning of the war. You know, a lot of the nations are like, yeah, just give him Poland, it'll be okay. He'll be peaceful then, right? Was he peaceful when he got Poland? No. Why? Because envy and self-seeking never are satisfied. Because they continue to lead to every evil work. And so he characterizes godly wisdom as peaceful. He characterizes it as gentle. Willing to yield somebody else's plan. That's not in alignment with self-seeking. Right? He continues and he says... It's full of mercy and good fruits. In verse 18, he's going to use that word fruits again, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The contrast is stark. The one is pursuing other people's benefits as it's guided by and instructed by God's word and a holy life. So you can't pursue other people, you can't yield to other people who are pursuing sin because that breaks the first thing, right? The first thing is purity or holiness. So as you pursue gentleness, as you pursue a willingness to yield, peaceableness, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, you can't break the first aspect, right? You have to remain holy as you work through the rest. But these others will accompany the holiness. And as it does, it demonstrates godly wisdom. He goes on and he says, These characteristics are enmity with envy and their enmity with self-seeking. A peaceful life, peace then, must characterize all who profess heavenly wisdom. You see that in verse 18. He returns to this idea of peace and he uses it another two times. He mentions it in verse 17, that they are peaceable. Then in verse 18, now the fruit of righteousness. And what I believe this is talking about is, righteousness itself is the fruit. Righteousness is the fruit. If you want to be somebody who is righteous, if you want to be somebody who is righteous, what it requires is, we have a godly wisdom that is based on purity and pursues peace with other people. And that is the fruit of righteousness. If you want to be righteous when you think about wisdom and how you apply wisdom, it requires that your life be characterized by purity and peace. Humbly doing good works. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You get the idea as you read through it that he kind of wants us to be peaceable people, right? It's not like we can kind of go, eh, I don't know, today's my day for peace. I'll put that on the shelf and I'll pick up this other characteristic. 
doesn't allow us to do that. If you want to profess godly wisdom, if you want to profess heavenly wisdom, then life must be characterized by peacefulness. It's sowed in peace. And the pursuit of the people is peace. A peaceful life will produce righteousness. And so as we, as we wrap up this text, I want you to return to that question that I asked you at the beginning. What is wisdom? Wisdom is an understanding of who God is applied and lived out. James specifically draws our attention to the fact that it will be characterized by humility. It will be characterized by peacefulness, directed by and controlled by purity that only God can bring. And he says that's wisdom. The other question that you and I must ask ourselves is, which wisdom characterizes me? Is it godly wisdom that is directed by holiness so that I'm living peacefully and humbly? Or is it worldly, no, demonic wisdom that's characterized by envy and self-seeking? Which one is true of your life? And so as we conclude, God defines wisdom as good works done humbly. Selfishness is a characteristic of demonic wisdom. Selfishness will open the door to disorder and every evil. It's unwilling to leave you where you are. It will continue to embrace and take over more and more areas of your life. Selfishness is never Purity characterizes heavenly wisdom. Purity and selflessness will produce abundant righteousness. Now it should be noted as we as we talk then about application of these truths. That everybody starts off in worldly wisdom. Everybody starts on the path of demonic wisdom. That's where we all start. We're all on the path of demonic, worldly wisdom. We're all pursuing our own desires. We're all characterized by unholiness, by envy, by self-seeking. And it's not simply a volitional choice transfer oneself from the path of worldly demonic wisdom to the path of heavenly godly wisdom. That is not simply, it's simply the, something that you wake up this morning or you go home after hearing the sermon and you go, I'm going to transfer myself by my own power, by my own desire onto this new path because I want to be somebody who's characterized by good. You can't do that. I can't do that. Nobody can do that. And so for you and I to be transferred from the one path of worldly demonic wisdom onto the path of godly, heavenly wisdom, we need something outside of this world. 
because nothing that you could do or acquire would ever transfer you from one to the other. It required that God saw your neediness and he chose to send the ultimate sacrifice, his son, Jesus Christ. He sent him to the world. He walked and lived in perfect righteousness, pursuing and following the Father's wisdom fully. Willingly went to the cross and died for your sins because you could never pay for your sins. And as he died, he paid for your sins and made it possible for you to be declared righteous by God. And so as you look at your lost state and you profess your faith in Jesus' finished work, the Father now can look at you, having humbled yourself, realize your own sinfulness and your need of righteousness to be allowed into heaven, to be allowed onto the path of godly, heavenly wisdom. And he declares you righteous, earning you a place with him. And so if, if all that's foreign to you, if all that's like, whoa, I don't get all of that, that doesn't make much sense. Talk to me, talk to somebody else here. Most of us would be delighted to be able to have that conversation. But we must, as believers, be honest with ourselves because all too often our lives are characterized by envy, by, envy, by self-seeking, whether it be as our, our children demonstrate their own selfishness and after we're done with you know all the tasks of caring for them, we're flustered and we just want a couple minutes of peace, right? And we, we demonstrate our own self-seeking hearts and how we sometimes respond to them simply. We, we do this too. And so what, what you and I must do is as we see demonstrations of envy of self-seeking in their own hearts you and I must must go before God and we must confess our sins and tell him we have pursued in this instance worldly demonic wisdom wisdom that should not ever characterize the life of a Christian and yet we have allowed ourselves to pursue our own desires and we have shunned God and his wisdom we have boasted in our own sin, and we've declared God a liar. And then to the extent that people know of our sin, we go and we confess to them, in this instance, I was envious, I was self-seeking, forgive me. And then we depend upon Jesus Christ. We depend upon the Holy Spirit. We depend upon the fellowship we have with others. We remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. We remind ourselves that when we were baptized, we were baptized with Christ and we were raised to walk in newness of life. We remind ourselves that as we partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming the victory that we have available to us through the life of Jesus Christ, through the death of Jesus Christ through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are the truths that you and I must constantly remind ourselves of and constantly seek to confess and live out. I think it's important for you and I, though, to be, be honest about just the, the magnitude of the struggle. 
And as, as we're talking about envy, as we're talking about self-seeking, chances are you and I, as we, as we hear these words, as we think about an illustration of a little baby biting her two-year-old sister because she wants to be held right that second, the two-year-old's prohibiting that. You see areas in your own heart where that kind of bitter envy and self-seeking demonstrate themselves. What relationships are those being demonstrated in your life? Is it with your spouse? Is it with somebody else here at church who just don't like them? Is it a coworker? Is it a neighbor? Children? Your spouse? Your siblings? What relationship specifically is God pointing to your heart and saying, this relationship in your life is in need of correction. This relationship is prone to seek worldly, demonic wisdom. I want you to work specifically on this relationship. As you think about that, you know, talk to somebody about it. Maybe your mom and dad, maybe your spouse, maybe a trusted friend at church. And ask them to be praying for you and seeking to encourage you as you seek to grow in godly, heavenly wisdom in that relationship. Why? Because it's, it's what God calls us to. God calls us to walk in heavenly wisdom. And to turn from the old man. Why? Because we have been raised to walk in newness of life. It's your responsibility, it's my responsibility to live lives that demonstrate the truthfulness of the gospel. What relationship does God want you to work on this week? Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for his truthfulness. We thank you for the fact that your word provides us with clarity. It speaks to the the difficulties, the frustrations, the hardships that we face. It speaks to our, our emotions as they demonstrate themselves so frequently. Your word speaks to us. It corrects us. It rebukes us. But then it also pictures for us what wisdom and obedience and faithfulness looks like. We pray that as we meditate upon James chapter 3, that you would help us to see our need of godly wisdom anew every day. In your name we pray. Amen.